The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Dave Parton, the pastor here. Thank you, Joel and Rivers, for starting off our service, pointing us to Jesus, allowing us to remember who He is and what He has done for us and we, as we sing of His amazing love. Uh, let me begin uh, this time of the sermon with a word of prayer that we ask the Spirit of God to help us better understand His will and align ourselves to it. Let's pray. Father, we come to You. We know that Your Word is uh, mighty, that is, the power is beyond anything that any one of us could even ever consider creating. Uh, over the generations, over these, uh, these seasons of life where you've seen man run away from you over and over again, you continue to pursue. And as we read these stories and hear of what the work that you have done, may we recognize in our own life there's a story, there's a pursuance that's happening right now. And we know either we're pursuing the world or pursuing you. And I pray today as we Study your word that we are reminded that you are beautiful, that you are precious, that you are, um, you are amazing, as we just sang. And may we run to you. It's in your name. Amen. So we are finishing up Exodus this morning. So if you are uh, showing up um, for the first time to our church, uh, welcome to the last five minutes of the movie. Right? It's like... You're getting to hear um, kind of the summary and the climax all at the same time of what's going on uh, with these people, these Hebrews in the book of Exodus. So we are actually in the last chapter of Exodus, Exodus 40. So if you get to Leviticus 1, go back a chapter and you will be in Exodus 40. This whole series we've been talking about pursuing God in this uh, two ways to look at this word. One is we have a God who is a pursuing God, and we have a people who should be pursuing God. The word pursue means to follow someone in order to catch them. Another way to say it is to move forward towards someone in order to pre to be present with them. So to be close, to be present, to be in the presence of another. And this is the direction we're going today. But as we started in Exodus, uh, we remember the people of God, the Hebrews, they were in captivity. They were, it seemingly um, seemed as far away from God as you can as they are under the oppression of Pharaoh, a man who thought he was God. The Pharaoh is running their lives in so many ways, and obedience to him was their expectation. That was their day-to-day life. Genesis 2.23. That's not right. Exodus 2.23. During those, day, those many days, the king, it says Genesis up there. I'm really sorry about that. The king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because their slavery had cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So early on, we see this groaning uh, once again in the book of Exodus. We see this problem, this idea that the Israelites were hurting. They were 
They were oppressed. They were not living in freedom as every man and woman desires. They wanted God's presence. So they cried out to him. And how does God respond? He says, I am here. I'm coming. I remember my covenant. I will come to you. But I want to take a step back, and this is where we go to Genesis 1.27. This, was the, this is the why of these feelings that we have. 127 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it was good. It was very good. God says, it's very good that I create, create mankind to be with me. And then God spends time talking with men and women. It seems like he walks with them as we read this story from early, early creation. And his desire for them is to multiply. The desire for them to care for the garden, to work it. But while they're working in the garden, another presence comes to Adam and Eve. Early, early Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. This is Satan. And he offers Adam and Eve the power. Not to need God's presence anymore, but they can, they can be gods themselves. Early on, you don't need God's presence. You're enough. And of course, the devil is the father of lies. It's in his nature. <clears throat> and it's this fruit of knowledge of good and evil that shows that their disobedience, it changes the very relationship with their presence of God. Genesis 3.8 says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see this idea of presence. We have God wanting to be present. We have Satan becoming next to man and woman saying, you don't need the presence of God anymore. And now as the presence of God arrives, we have men and women hiding. They're no longer pursuing presence with God. Now they're running from it. So our first point today, God desires presence with us, but sin desires absence of God. Sin is this, anything we think, say, or do that goes away from God. So we don't want to be around the perfect God when we are being disobedient. And my first question today is, do you feel this in your life? When you are living a life that goes against the truth of the Scriptures, goes against the ways that Jesus walked, the ways that Jesus loved, the ways that Jesus chose to live selflessly and care for others, when you're not living that way, what do you want to do? You want to be alone. You want to be far from God. You want to be far from godly people. You for sure want to be away from that friend who's going to maybe tell you truth and love and help you get back on the path because pride is strong. Guilt is strong. You want to hide and run and, and be alone because the presence of God provi provides light. It provides what's actually true and what's there. And what do we realize is that we are nothing like God, that we actually want to be gods ourselves. So in this, God must show up. He desires to be present with us. He desires to pursue. And now to Exodus, as we see this blessing of God within this man-centered Egypt nation, the Pharaoh, 
He begins to feel threatened by this blessing, these people, these Hebrews that are blessed by God and become, become more and more and more and more. It begins to punish. He begins to hurt. When he begins to feel the pressure of their blessing, God's blessing on the people, he begins to put pressure back because he wants to stay hidden from God. So they cry out for their deliverance. And what does God do? He listens. He shows up. His presence is right there desiring. And as we go and consider through the scriptures from Adam and Eve, we know we have this great point where God shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to be your God. And as we read in Exodus over and over again, we have God's presence over and over and over showing up. We got the, uh, the, the, the burning bush showing up to to Moses, we have the, the miracles of the, the ten plagues to put pressure back on Pharaoh. You have the parting of the Red Sea where God shows up and uses his hands to move a sea back for his people to be saved. You have the pillar of fire and a pillar, this cloud that, that guides people. He wants to be with his people. Then we have the feeding, the, a giver, a caregiver who wants to give and take care of his people as he gives manna and he gives water. Then we have the guiding to Mount Sinai and the literally God showing up to Moses to write on tablets the way he wants his people to live so he can be present with them. And even the description of the tabernacle as we've been studying the last month or so. So let's read Exodus 40 today. This is the last paragraphs of Exodus. The first 31 verses, if you just scan through that really quickly, you'll see that it's Moses being obedient, doing all the things that God told him to do on the mountain. Build the tabernacle this way. Uh, teach the priests this. Allow them to wear this. Get the altars and get everything ready. And he does. He makes the fence. He makes the basin. He makes the veil. He Builds the tent. <laughs> and then 40.32 of Exodus says this. When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar. And he set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Verse 34 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Point number two today, God arrives when the work is finished. God arrives when the work is finished. Stay with me as we go through this. For 13 chapters... Here in Exodus, we read about 
how Moses is learning the design, seeing visions of the design, collecting all the articles for the tabernacle from all the people, people, all ever, the, the whole groups involved. These descriptions, these expectations to make this component or that component are very specific. And then camp is set. And as I was thinking about this, getting things ready, I, I, I began to think of um, camping. And I don't know how many of you guys like to camp. My family likes to camp. And when you want to go camping, um, it's hard for my family. We're a family of six with a, with a pop-up camper that acts as a very large shelf in our garage for a lot of things. So when you want to camp, you kind of have to think about it, right? There's, um, there's six different schedules going on. So First of all, we have to think about where we want to go, when we want to go, what do we want to do there, because that depends on what we're going to do there, how much money we have, so that depends on like which campsites and which places we can actually camp at. And then we've got to get the camper ready and buy the things for the camper based on the things that we decide that we want to do. And with the truck and the, and the bike rack and then all that room on top of the pop-up camper, how much stuff can actually fit on all that and get it ready so we go to the store and buy all the things. Then we decide, right, let's go, we, we, have the, we have the time set, everybody's made all the schedules. And then we go on the trip. And you, I probably already lost many of you guys. Never want to camp ever again. But it's like, you get there, and then you take all the stuff that's perfectly packed exactly because it all finally fit. You unpack it all at the campsite. And depending on how glamp you do with your camping, um, it could take a few hours. But once you're done getting all the things set up, and I love to build forts as a kid, and I love to build forts at 46. So I love setting up and putting hooks and like hanging things, and it looks like the perfect outdoor campsite, in my opinion. Once I'm done, I get in my hammock of the six hammocks with my little table and my little Coke Zero, and the kids are off on their skateboards and bikes. I don't care where they are, but they're gone, which is a beautiful thing these days for kids. Go, right? So they go, and they're at the campsite somewhere riding around hearing kids playing, and it's just me and a swinging hammock and everything's, everything's done. Thinking four months ago, I, I planned that moment. But that moment was worth it, right? It's like, that is it. So when the work is finished, you get to enjoy the work. So we get this. We understand this, especially if you build tents. You get this. You understand the joy and satisfaction of when the work is finished, something beautiful happens. And on this day, on a very much more cosmic level than my little pop-up camper season, God shows up when his commands are followed through the faith of his people. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And this cloud of presence continues. It's not just for a moment, a glimpse. It's like, no, from now on, as this cloud is here or this cloud chooses to travel, you pick up the tent and you follow the cloud. It's going to be a continuous journey for the people of God to be with God because God wants them to be with him. He's now saying, I am here. Let's stay together. Now, this is in complete contrast to how the book started back in the first couple chapters of Exodus. They were in the presence of a false god, Pharaoh. But what does Yahweh do? What does God do? Well, he shows up and he frees them. He brings salvation. And this transition marks the undeniable truth. That God loves people. Amen? God loves us. God pursues us. God works when we are in the dark. 
He desires to come in and show and develop this dependent relationship that we should have on him. He's a guide. He's a, he's a cloud of hope in a lot of ways. So here we find ourselves thousands of years later with the same offer extended to us, this continual idea that the presence of God is, is pursuing us in a lot of ways. And, and we're not slaves in Egypt, but we kind of get the idea that the things of this world kind of like can hold us down, can kind of oppress us and kind of continue to point us that we don't need God anymore. We can be gods ourselves. We can see that happening for them and we can see that happening for us as well. These false gods could be anything. They could be pursuit of money or power or popularity or having the perfect family or the approval of those you love or those you don't like, or approval of anyone, a longing for comfort. And you want more ease in your life. You think that'll be your God and then you will be happy. But all these things become things that are out of our control and that God is the only one who can bring salvation to all of them. But as we pursue these, we feel the weight, um, that weight's much bigger than any of us could carry, and we cry out. We say, God, deliver me from this. Deliver me from that. Deliver me from these expectations. And like the Israelites, we find ourselves longing for God's presence once more. And God has never told me, and I bet he's never told you, nope, that was the last time. The cross of Christ is has been used up for you. That is not a true statement. Now the devil wants you to believe that's true. But that is a lie. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And the good news is that God showed up through Christ as Emmanuel. God with us. So point number three today. God's still pursuing us. Let's pursue him. What an ending point, right, of this whole thing. Like, God is still pursuing us. May we pursue him. He's inviting us to his presence. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite our failure, despite the number of times very clearly he said, you should do this, and you did the very opposite. Despite that, God is still pursuing. Jesus came. Why did he come? Jesus came to finish the work. Amen? Jesus came to finish the work that we could not do. Jesus came to us while we were still sinners. Jesus was God. He did the work. He satisfied all the items in the tabernacle, all the items of the law. The Bible literally says that Jesus came to tabernacle with us. He camped with us. He lived with us. He moved into the neighborhood. The second point we said that God arrives when the work is finished. Here is the good news today. Jesus' work was the structure, was the priest, and was the sacrifice. This is Jesus. John 19.30 at the end of Jesus' life before his resurrection he said, it is finished. And when he died, what happened? Well, that whole tabernacle thing, that whole wall between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, that whole separation of the veil, it ripped from top to bottom at the death of Christ because 
the work is now finished. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead to show us the power that he has. He's not just some mere mortal. He is the God of the universe, and he ascended after 40 days to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he told his disciples, I will be with you always till the end of the age. Now, through faith in Jesus, God wants us to seek his presence, but not out of fear, but out of love. Not because we're running from something, but we're running to someone. God is still pursuing us, and he wants us to desire his presence each and every day. Psalm 1611 reminds us, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. My hope, friends, is that you know this. My hope is that you spend time every day, and every week you have a rhythm of doing discipleship groups or church or something with your, the family of God, and you remember that you're not alone in pursuing God and pursuing his presence, but there's brothers and sisters that want to pursue with you. There's joy and pleasures forevermore. But just like the Israelites needed to cry out to God and realize that they were hopeless, doing things on their own, we need to do the same out of faith. Because Jesus has done the work for us. We can prepare ourselves and, and make our hearts ready to follow him and pursue him and receive him. And we need to tear down the idols of our lives as we've been talking about. Get rid of the things that are holding us back, holding us down that are slowing us from running this sort of desire to be with God. I don't know what that is for you today. But my hope is that you will be reminded today that the golden calves need to be destroyed and the presence of God is on the other side. This is repentance. This is what I will end this whole series with, the idea of repentance. I think the, the idea of exodus is a big story of repentance if you're a Christian, we live lives of repentance. If you're not a Christian yet, your relationship with God will start with the act of repentance. It's the idea of turning from self and turning to God. That's what Moses has done throughout this book, turning from self and turning to God. As Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, she turns from herself and turns to God. He says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. And what do you do after you do that? Will you follow me? The woman at the well, she left her jar and she went to town to talk about Jesus. Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, he left his life of persecuting the church to preach growth into the church. This is the life of almost everyone we read in the Bible that follows God. It's the story we read over and over again. But I just want to say it's, it's, it's my story. And I think for everyone in the room who's here who's following Jesus, that's your story. It's the message of salvation from death to life, from blindness to sight. God sent his son, Jesus. And as he says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, we see these disciples live their lives for the glory of God, to bring the presence of God everywhere they went. His presence fills us the same way we see 
God fill the tabernacle. You can picture the Spirit of God be a part of your life as you follow God. As you follow His teachings, you recognize that you're not alone, that you have the Lord right there with you, taking every step in this life with Him. Friends, let's pursue God's presence together. Let's run towards Him, not away from Him. Let's Let's lean in and desire his presence and we don't feel his presence. What should we do together? We cry out to God and say, God, we need your presence. That is my hope for us as a community. Let's make his presence our priority and our soul's delight. As we finish this great history book of God's pursuance in Exodus, I just want to connect with another psalm, Psalm 27.4. And may it be our prayer. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I think it took an entire year of me studying Exodus to enjoy that passage. I'm going to read it again. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the end, I think it's God's presence is what we need now. It's all we need. It's what we will have into eternity in our deepest desires, as we expect what this world truly can give us, we can, we can redeem those and use those for the glory of God. And may we find freedom and find joy and find peace and live life differently because we live day by day in the presence of God. I want to end with a, a quote from Tim Keller. He's a pastor that I learned a ton from. He passed away this week from cancer. Amazing teacher. I was actually watching his sermon on YouTube when I lived overseas when the next guy who came up on stage to speak in those two sermons was a strong pull for Rivers and I to plant churches with our lives. So Tim's been an amazing teacher through the years for me. This is what Tim said. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but when Jesus is all you have, you recognize that's enough. And I hope we all get there as a community. I hope we recognize that Jesus is all we need. Let's pray. God, as we look back in history and we saw these were these people, these real, these human beings that were in captivity. And over the years, we, we can see their lives change because of your presence. Father, may we recognize that you are a God of salvation, that this is the type of God you are, a God who comes in and saves. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for many in the room that have 
golden calves in their lives. Father, take away my golden calves. Take away the things that I put before you that I don't quite get to see your presence rightly because there's things in the way. Jesus, you are all I need. I surrender all today. Help me tomorrow surrender all. Father, I pray for those that need to spend time with you right now as we take communion. May your spirit come and show them clearly what repentance is and that your arms are open and welcome and that you take away the burdens of this world because you give freedom for the joy into eternity. We ask all this in your name and all God's people said, amen.